Well, good morning, everyone. I missed all of you last week. Wasn't it awful not having church? It really was. But we're here today, and um, and we're going to be uh, going to be picking up in Exodus 22, starting with verse 16. And you know, I was thinking. I, I really do once in a while. But I was thinking uh, um, earlier today about geometry. I took geometry almost 50, or no, almost 60 years ago. And those of you that are old enough to remember, some of you might remember this, when you took geometry, you had your geometry book, and it had the cloth over the cardboard cover, and you'd put a slit in it, and you'd put your compass and your protractor in there, and you were so cool walking around with that because everybody knew you weren't a freshman anymore. You were a sophomore. But, you know, you had postulates and theorems and proofs, and the whole idea was to show that your idea was true. And that's why I love math. And the same thing with algebra. You know, you had unknown variables that you were trying to find, you know, what it was worth and what the value of it was. And it, it's a beautiful thing because you could sit and you go, bup, 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 and you know you have the answer. And it's different in science. I mean, science can be very exact in some ways, but in some ways it changes. And there was an article, I don't know how many years ago, it was either in Life or Newsweek magazine, and they had an article that science changes every 50 years. But you know what? Math doesn't. And either does this book. Because you can take the concept, the theory, the postulate you might have, and you lay out the proofs, and it proves this book to be 100% true. It's the most amazing book you'll ever look at. It's the only book, it's the only religious book you can take the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, you can take the writings of Confucius, you can take all these religious books, none of them have prophecy in it. You know why? Because if they did, they would be proven to be false books. Because only God is able to tell us what's going to happen before it happens. And it even tells us in Scripture, He does that so that we know it's the Word of God. And so when we look at portions like this, going all the way back to Exodus, you might seem uh, think it's archaic, that it has nothing to do with us, but it has a lot to do with us. And we're going to be looking at some pretty heavy issues that are mentioned in this portion of Scripture. But the thing we always have to remember is that every one of us are sinners saved by grace, right? If I, if I took you, or myself, or whoever, out in the middle of a deep lake, let's say Seneca Lake, that's where I used to swim when I was a kid, you went out in the middle of Seneca Lake, and I threw you out of the boat, and I, you know, motored away, I, I drove away, you have a choice. You can either swim towards shore, or you can drown. And you want to know what? That's the way this world is. We have been deposited in a sea of sin. And we can either swim towards righteousness, towards our Lord, or we're going to drown in this world and the dissipation of it. But we have to realize that even when you're swimming, part of you is in the water. <laughs> and you have to work to stay above it. And you and I as believers, we're in the world. But we're not supposed to be overtaken by the world. And so we need to be swimming, seeking after the Lord. And so it's not a matter of just, well, I'm saved, that's it. No, you're saved now to seek after the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not going to fall. It doesn't mean you're not going to take a gulp of water, you know, using my swimming analogy once in a while. It doesn't mean you're not even go, going to go under once in a while. But you come back up and you start swimming towards that heavenly shore. 
And that's the promise we have in God's word. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the way it's able to speak to our hearts. And our greatest desire is to be with you one day and to see you as you are. And so I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would open our hearts and souls and spirits to receive your truth, and that truth would be applied in such a way that we would not only love you, seek after you, but we would be a witness to those around us. And so we give you thanks, Lord, and pray that your word would speak to our hearts this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one of the things we have to understand is the church is, is to be the arm and the instrument of God in this world. And in so many ways, we haven't been. You know, we think we've been, but we really haven't been. When we, were, we just came back from a prophecy conference at Finger Lakes Calvary Chapel, and one of the things one of the speakers did that was just very telling, very amazing, is he had a different premise for it than I do, but it was still very telling. He, and what he did is he said, if you're at this prophecy conference and you are 40 years old or under, stand up. Three people stood up. What it means is this younger generation has forgotten about prophecy. This younger generation has forgotten about the promises of God as far as the reality that we are supposed to live in a hope of imminency of his return. In fact, we call that theologically the doctrine of imminency. And it's been in, since the creation of the world. But the reality is that we as believers, Scripture says, are not in darkness that this day should overtake us as a thief. We're children of the light. And so we need to look at the light of truth of his word and see what's going on around us and how depraved it is. We're going to be looking at some things in this portion that you're going to be thinking, oh, but think about what Pastor Frank Jr. was sharing in the first service. The law that was passed in New York State that right up to the time of birth, a woman can have an abortion, can put to death her unborn child. And how amazing it is, the same governor, he repealed the death penalty, but he's accepted the death penalty for children. And we have to realize that this is the world we're living in. It shouldn't be surprising to us. This world is becoming more and more depraved. But in these last days, we as believers, we need to be more of an of a acid, more of an antibiotic against all the corruption of this world. We need to show the truth, the light of God in the face of everything that's going on around us so that people may be saved. Because no one understands this. The, the Word of God is so amazing. I mean, it is so amazing. And if you study the book of Revelation, it's the only book of the Bible that a promise is given not only to those who read it, but to those who hear it. And it's all about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything, the, the tribulation is going to take place in this earth. It's going to happen. But you and I, we need to make the most of every opportunity until that day comes, until we're caught out of this world in what's called a rapture. Actually, rapture isn't in the Bible. It says we shall be caught up together. But caught up is taken from the Latin raptos. That's where we get the word rapture, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to happen, and soon. I mean, you look at Ezekiel 38. I'm not going to get all off in prophecy, but you look at Ezekiel 38. The very nations that are mentioned 
that were going to be gathered in Syria, north of Israel, to come against her. Now, you have to understand that this prophecy was written over 600 years before the birth of Christ. Israel has been out of its homeland, was out of its homeland for 2,000 years. They remained an identifiable people, were brought back into their land, speaking the ancient language. Abraham could go into Israel today and understand them. That's a miracle itself. And now all these nations that are mentioned to come against Israel are there? They're there. Russia, Turkey, Iran, Lebanon, all those, all those put, cush, those are the old names, all those nations are ready to come against Israel. We need to open our eyes. And we need to make sure that we make the most of every opportunity in the time we have left. Now, many wonder why God gives such specific details in the portion that we're looking at. It's because man on his own is ruthless and depraved beyond measure. Oh, how can you say that about us? Because we are. I'll tell you what, if we're not swimming, brothers and sisters, we're sinking in unrighteousness. You know that's the truth. Now, think about the fact that the animal kingdom can be pretty ruthless. But yet, instinctively, among their own species, they have certain regulations and rules. They don't you know, normally devour one another, but not so with mankind. You know, we love to devour one another for our own good. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. I mean, really, man without accountability is so ruthless. That's why we need the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, and, and turn to verse 28. And this is a portion of Scripture that is actually talking about how uh, the degression of man morally is going to continue until the last days, and it's going to be just horrible. And in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with Every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Listen to this. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. And that's not just only um, children you say, you know, saying, no, mommy, no, daddy. It's talking about what our fathers have taught us, biblically and spiritually and morally, you know, and they have become disobedient to it. Verse 31, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decrees, they do, uh, the, uh, those who do such things deserve death. They not only, listen, they not only to continue to do these things, uh, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. How amazing we can approve. Well, yeah, I think that's... I mean, I wouldn't do that. How many times have you heard that? I wouldn't do that, but I think people have the right to. Well, is it according to God's word? If it's not, then the reality is it's sin. It's wrong. I don't approve of it. Now, as Christ is eliminated from our nation and uh, from our schools, everything is unraveling. And it's interesting that it's illegal to talk about Jesus Christ and, and to talk about, you know, Christianity and being born again in our schools. 
And how many people are aware of the fact that public, the public schools began in churches? Did you know that? In this country, the first public schools were churches. The primary reader that was used for, to teach children how to read was the Bible. And the reason the churches started the public schools because they felt every person, not just the wealthy, not just you know, those of the upper class, but everybody should know how to read so that they can study God's word. And now that very public school that was started, you know, mothered out of the church has pushed the church out. Now, think about what's happening in our nation. There was an ad, I don't know if you saw it. I mean, we have so many things, uh, you know, that have become unraveled, abortion, gender identity. And I don't know if you saw that Gillette shaver ad. And it, it takes on, it's actually saying that they're takes, taking on what they call toxic masculinity. There's nothing worse in the world today than to be a man, in our, our society anyway. I mean, if you're a man, you are just no good. <laughs> and your masculinity, if you're being male, if you're being masculine, that's really awful. But the reality is, the Bible talks about us playing the part of a man. But it doesn't mean, you know, being macho and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about seeking after God, being willing to be the spiritual leader of your home, you know, taking responsibility for what God has committed to us. That's really being a man. And I, I think about all these protesters against the masculine stereotype. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and yet, look at our advertisements and our commercials. Here's the thing you have to understand. I believe women are intelligent. I believe women are vital to our nation. I believe women can just carry on beautifully professional jobs. I believe in all that. But yet, look at our commercials. Women are stereotyped as eye candy. In all your commercials. Think about the commercials that you see. Do you see the hypocrisy I'm talking about? You have a world that says, well, men shouldn't be this way, and women should be this way, and yet the very thing that they use to advertise their products is just the opposite. So we have to understand the responsibility God has given us. So in Exodus chapter 22, starting with verse 16, it says, For if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If a father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. And then it says, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Now, what's interesting is the word for sorcery um, in the Greek is pharmakia. It's the word we get pharmacy from. Now, I want to read to you uh, an amazing statistic and it's taken from um, the Talbert Recovery Program. And um, Dr. Douglas Talbert was a great physician and researcher, and he started the Talbert Recovery Program. And um, here's the statistics that he shares. 25% of people who misuse prescription drugs ended up with an addiction at some point. Now listen to this. More people report using controlled prescription drugs than cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine combined. Isn't that amazing? 
But we live in a society that says, you got an emotional problem? You got some kind of a physical problem? Here, take drugs, take drugs, take drugs. Because we've cut God out. I mean, the reality is, I love Jesus, and Jesus is the answer to all my needs. And I'm so thankful for that. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god except the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out to me, listen to this, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children shall be fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you. Now, a lot of people take this to say charging interest is completely against the Bible, even in banks and so forth. That's not what it's saying here. It says, if you lend money to my people who are poor among you. There are very specific you know, uh, requirements that are given here. You shall not uh, be like a money lender. So see, they had money lenders even back then to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you, even, if, you, uh, even t- if you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God nor cause the ru- or curse the ruler of your people. You shall not disobey, uh, you shall not delay to offer the first fruits, talking about what we offer to the Lord, of your ripe uh, produce uh, and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me, likewise you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be uh, with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field, and you shall... Uh, you shall throw it to the dogs. Now, starting off with verse 16, if a person entices or seduces, and the Hebrew word that is used there for seduce is patha, and what that means is to lure, to trick, to bring in, and that's what it's talking about, anyone who entices you know, a young woman in this way. And, of course, the... Um, the penalty is very severe, as we saw. Now, we have to realize that our society has done, you know, we talk about, you know, women's rights. And like I just shared a moment ago, I think women are completely equal to men. That's, the Bible teaches that. But we talk about women's rights. But in reality, we've done more to suppress women, I think, than maybe any other time in history, morally anyway. You think about the fact that Um, we live in a society that almost glorifies promiscuity. I mean, at one time, people really felt that if a man and woman were having relations with one another outside of marriage, that it was wrong. But now it's, it's no big deal. It's all right. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. Well, maybe they do, but the Bible says it's wrong. And our society has made, you know, these kinds of sins so much more available. These are some statistics that I uh, 
research and working on this message. 70% of Internet pornography is viewed by, by men, where only 22% is viewed by women. But listen to this. 70% of the chat rooms are visited by women. And women are more likely to play out their fantasies than men. Interesting statistic. Today's society glorifies promiscuity and female and male sexuality. You know, everything's about being sexy. And the reality is, it's, it's like playing with a loaded gun. It doesn't ever do good, it does harm. And there is such a paradox between today's sexual philosophy and, you know, what we really see all around us in movies and ads and so forth. Think of the movies you go to see. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. Women oftentimes are just played, portrayed as an object. And men are just kind of cool and suave. And if you have a cool woman, then she's very promiscuous. And she's just a cool lady. Well, that's the way our society has um, digressed to. And um, also, in this same way as sexuality, men and women are seduced spiritually by false teachers and teachings. So many people have more teachings and more books that they read about the Bible than they do reading the Bible. I can tell you a lot about someone, but the best way for you to get to know that person is to meet that someone and to spend time with that someone. And so I can tell you a lot about Jesus. I can tell you a lot about the Word of God, but you need to spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time in the Word of God if you really want to know. Nostos, if you really want to know, really from your heart, know Him. And, um, but the reality is, I mean, think about even witchcraft. I just shared with you how, you know, suffering out of sorceress to live. Think about witchcraft, the occult. And uh, they're so lightly brushed over even by Christians today. Think about the videos, the movies, the, the, the video games and, and, and television shows, and even cartoon shows for kids, how much sorcery and witchcraft is involved in it. The Bible says it's wrong. How have we come to a place where we just kind of wink at it? It's not really that big a deal. Just kids. Well, that's right. There are kids. And we have a responsibility to them. And through political correctness, we've come to a place where, where it's wrong to speak out against anything that the Bible calls sin. The only thing that is acceptable to speak out against is Christianity. I, I'm serious. You can watch, you know, uh, comedians on TV, all kinds of mocking and making fun of Christianity. You'd never do that about Islam. Although Islam is, uh, you know the one religion that has the most dangerous teachings. But in this country, we can't say anything. It's politi politically correct to say anything. Now, understand this. I'm not talking about people. I mean, any Muslim could walk in this church and we would love them and we would encourage them and hopefully lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If they needed help, we'd help them. I'm talking about the religion. Do you understand the difference? What their teachings are. For instance, in the Quran... Now, the Quran, we have chapter and verse. They have Sirah and verses. Listen to this. This is taken from the Quran. It's um, 
Sirah 5, verse 33. The punishment of those who wage war against Allah and his messengers and strive to make mischief in the land is only this, that they should be murdered or crucified or their hands and feet should be cut off on opposite sides. If you speak against Muslim, Islam. Okay? Sirah 9, verse 14. Humiliating and hurting non-believers not only has the blessing of Allah, but is ordained as a means of carrying out punishment and even heals the hearts of Muslims. One of the things that is very controversial with Islam, and a lot of people don't even know about it, and the authorization the Quran gives for a man to beat, to beat his disobedient wife. But take heart, women. He's not allowed to break their bones. He can beat you, but he can't break your bones. And um, that's found in chapter, you know, well, Sirah 4, verse 34. That's found about men being allowed to beat their wives if they're disobedient to him. And additional references on wife beating is found in Muhammad's uh, traditions. In other words, the Hadath has a whole ton of verses about how, like there's certain ways you can beat your wife and what you can beat her with. That's wrong. It's sin. It's not what God has commanded us in our relationship with one another. There is neither male nor female. Isn't that what the Word of God says? We're all one in Christ. A lot of people think, well, the Bible, you know, those born-again Christians, they just like to put women down. No, actually the Scripture is what lifted women up. How many times do we have examples of how Jesus treated women? Even a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery was brought to Jesus. And all the elders said, you know, our tradition, our law says we're to stone her to death. What do you think? And he started writing in the sand. We have no idea what he was writing. We have a lot of speculation. He might have been writing down the names of their girlfriends. Who knows? But it says they started leaving from the oldest to the youngest until none were left. And you know what Jesus said to that woman caught in the very act of adultery? He said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none, sir. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go, but sin no more. Turn your life around. Find real purpose and meaning. Don't degrade yourself like this. That's how Jesus treated women. And then verse 19 and 20, the practice of bestiality and spiritual adultery. It's interesting that they both have the same uh, condemnation. Now, one of the things that was interesting to me, and you might be thinking, well, this is, why are you bringing this up? Because we're reading about it. This is what this portion of Scripture is telling us, and we think these are irrelevant to our society today. Um, and you can do the same research if you want to. I wouldn't necessarily advise it. In researching verse 19, I was shocked to find how many articles there were that support human beings marrying animals. Now listen to this. Bestiality is completely legal in 17 states. Alabama, Arkansas, Washington, D.C., Hawaii, Kentucky, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Ohio, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. What? Are you kidding me? This is the reason, as believers, we have to take a stand for Jesus Christ. 
We just can't be, you know, well, I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to... Hey, this society is really going down the tube. This whole world is. And it helps us understand why God's judgment is coming. You know, people, they study the book of Revelation and they say, why is God's judgment so harsh? It's because the way the world has become so depraved. They brought this judgment upon themselves. But, of course, God being gracious, merciful, and loving, he takes his church out of the world before his condemnation comes. And then, in his grace and mercy, even during the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation coming upon the earth, many people will come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the mercy and love of God. Now, why such harsh harsh response in this portion is given to spiritual adultery, almost the same as uh, this other perversion. Why such a response? You know, anger and, and not, you know, from God. It's a righteous anger, righteous indignation, and, and, and what's going to be brought upon man who gets involved and introduces spiritual adultery is because those who commit spiritual adultery are responsible for pulling many away from Jesus Christ and leading to all kinds of sin that are beyond mention. You know, if I go to a physician, if I go to an oncologist, and they tell me, or I go to my dermatologist, because I did have a little skin cancer, just to make you feel sorry for me and think I'm cool. But anyway, it was just basal cell melanoma. It was no big deal. But anyway, you go to the doctor, and you find out you have cancer. The doctor doesn't say, oh, my gosh, you've got cancer. Ha, let's just leave it. Ha, let it go. You know, we don't want to make a scar. Just let it go. What does the surgeon do? Cuts it out. So that the rest of your tissue might remain healthy. And the same thing is true. The Holy Spirit desires to cut this kind of depravity out of our hearts and out of the heart of our nation that we might be healthy. But the reality is that man, men are so reluctant to follow the ways of God And that's the reason you and I as believers have been given the responsibility. It says he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the most beautiful thing in the world. There have been times over the years that Vi and I have met with couples that were just... And sometimes we're not able to do anything because they have to... Only the Lord can do it anyway. They have to surrender to the Lord. But there have been those times that the Lord has used Vi and I to share the truth of God's word with them, and those couples become reconciled. And you know what? That is so beautiful. God wants reconciliation with all of us. He wants us to be reconciled to God. And his reconciliation was so desirous that he came to earth in the form of a man called the incarnation and was willing to die as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, making him a living sacrifice, that his sacrifice was only once necessary, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the desire that God has for this world and for us, that we would know him. This is why it tells us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 42, listen, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. And then verse 21 talks to us about mistreating an alien or oppressing them. 
As a matter of fact, uh, he uses the example that they were aliens in Egypt and were mistreated. He said, you're not supposed to mistreat aliens that way. And here's the thing. Personally, I believe in people coming into this country the proper way, being properly vetted and proper, you know, coming in. But here's the reality. If an alien, if an illegal alien even came to my door and had a real need, I would help them, I would love them, I would pray for them and hope to win them to Jesus Christ. But at the same, at the same time, I would not be naive. Understand what I'm saying? If I came to believe or came to find out that this person was violent, this person was dangerous, I certainly wouldn't bring them into my house. I might still encourage them and help them if I could, but I wouldn't want them to come into my house. And we have an example of that. In, in fact, Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned it in the first service. And it actually says if someone breaks into your house at night and you're not able to tell who it is and you strike them and they die, you're not responsible for their blood. But if the sun comes up, you are. What does that mean? When you're not sure, sometimes we need to take a strong stand. And so the reality is that we have a responsibility to love. God is love, agapeos, unconditional love. Our love, you know what I'm saying? There are religions that I despise because of what they do to people. There are philosophies that I despise because of what they do to people. But that has nothing to do with the people. I will love those people with every fiber of my being, desiring to win them to Jesus Christ and that they might know the truth. Then he goes on in verses 22 and 24. He talks about not taking advantage of, of widows and orphans. And he says, I mean, he says, they cry out to me, you're in trouble. And that isn't probably quite as relevant today as it used to be. But years ago... And they used to have, or, you know, orphanages. They still do. But, I mean, the orphanages years ago where they would send children that didn't have parents, those orphanages were used for child labor. Children as young as nine years old were sent down into the mines to work. They were used as child labor. And that's why all of us know about George Mueller. Amazing Christian man. You want to read his biography if you never have. And he started orphanages in England to take care of children, to give them an education and to give them. And so many of the children that went through George Mueller's orphanages grew up to be pastors and lawyers and physicians. It was, it's amazing. You want to read about the, the love he had for these children and the faith he had. He'd have times that he had no food. No food at all for the children in his orphanage. And he'd sit down and he'd pray and ask the Lord's blessing. And before he was through praying, somebody would be at the door with enough food to feed everyone. Time and time again that happened. Read his biography. And so we have to understand we have a responsibility to children. We have a responsibility to widows. Because in that day, if a widow, her husband died, she was destitute. And if any job she would find, it would be at the most meager wages. I don't know how many of you during the, the Christmas season watch a Christmas carol. And um, in the Christmas carol, one scene in, in the older movie has this woman, and she's on a street corner begging with her two small children, trying to wrap her, her coat around them, begging for money. That's the way it was in that day. 
And Jesus is saying that's not the way it should be among believers. And it wasn't. And you know, he talks about lending money. And the thing we have to realize is that if we ever have an opportunity to be able to help someone, we can't be like the money lenders. I'm expecting this or that in return. You know, if you're going to loan, uh, loan money to someone, if you're going to loan whatever to someone, you just loan it. Just let it go. Because like he says here, see, back in those days, articles of clothing were very expensive and hard to come about. And so he said if someone uses their, you know, coat as collateral, and the sun starts coming down, give them their coat back. That's all they have to keep warm. That's the kind of attitude the Lord wants us to have towards one another and towards anyone he gives us opportunity to minister to. And then um, verses 28 and 29, he's talking about, do not blaspheme God or curse the rulers of your people. We have a responsibility, according to God's word, to pray for our leaders. Do we pray for our leaders or curse them? There's been plenty of leaders that have been in office that I didn't agree with, and I thought they were wrong for our nation, but I prayed for them. Do you understand? Like Frank, Pastor Frank Jr. talked about this morning, we don't like what Andrew Como did, but we need to pray for him, pray that he'd be saved, and that the Lord would open his eyes and use him. We don't hate. We're believers. We're Christians. We don't hate. We don't hate. We love and desire reconciliation. And one of the things we have to understand as far as when it talks about not blaspheming God, there are many ways you can blaspheme God. And in some ways you can do it is by representing yourself falsely before the Lord. A portion of scripture you want to write down, it's, it's worth looking at. Probably most of you are aware of this account. It's found in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, starting with uh, verse 34 down through chapter 5. And uh, what it is, there was... Uh, at that time, because the believers, many of the believers were having hard times. They were being persecuted for their faith. And so believers, it says, had all things in common. And you had people like Joseph, whose surname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He went and he sold a field and he brought it back and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, use it to help the needy. And everyone thought he was great because he was great. In the eyes of the Lord, he wasn't looking for self-gratification, but he just loved Jesus, and he wanted to help others. He was, he was a wonderful guy. And so you had old Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They were thinking, I want all the accolades that Joseph is getting, Barnabas is getting. I want people to think as wonderfully of me, but I really don't want to be that frivolous with my money and what I have. So they conspired together, and they went out, and they sold a field for a certain amount of money. And they agreed together, and they came to Peter, they came to the apostles, and they laid the money at the feet of Peter, saying, we sold a field, and this is all the money we got for that field, and we're giving it to you to share with the needy people because we're so wonderful and benevolent. Then Peter, because the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, said to Ananias, he said, why? He said, you have not lied to me, but to the Holy Spirit. And he calls him out on it. You're only giving part of this money. You said it was all of it. And Peter says to him, when the land was yours, it was yours to do with whatever you wanted. And when you sold the land, the money was yours to do with whatever you wanted. But when you are saying, I'm giving all this to God, and you only gave part of it, and you held part of it back, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. 
And so Ananias fell down dead. And the other people that were there carried him out. The young men carried him out to bury him. And about an hour or two later, it tells us in this portion, his wife Sapphira comes in. And Peter says to her, um, did you sell your field for such and such money that you're giving to the destitute and the needy? And she says, yes. And she said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? She said, the men who carried your husband's dead body out a couple hours ago are ready to carry yours out. And she fell down dead. And then I love it. It says, and great fear fell upon the church. I'm I'm thankful that the Lord isn't working in our churches that way, but you have to understand the fear that is talking about, that's being talked about here is a reverent fear, understanding God is God. And he's no one to be trifled with. You're not going to go to the pearly gates. In fact, there's no such thing. But you're not going to go to the pearly gates and say, you know what, St. Peter, I just want to work out a deal with you. Number one, it says, it's, it's appointed unto every man once to die and end judgment. Your fate, your relationship with God is sealed while you're alive and while you have breath in your nostrils. If you're born again, you're going to go and be with the Lord. If you're not, you're not going to be. Well, that's not fair. Well, think about this. If I said to you, guess what? I have a barrel of $1,000 bills up here. And I know some of you have need. Come up here and just grab a fistful. And a bunch of people run up here and they grab a fistful. And they're, ah, I can take care of my needs. I can take care of my financial problems. And then there are other people that just say, I'm not going to do that. And they walk out and they say, that pastor isn't fair. How can he let me go destitute when he didn't let them? They were able to get the money they needed. Well, it wasn't my responsibility. I offered freely to anyone. Jesus Christ offers his salvation freely to anyone who calls upon his name. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. No question about it. That's the love we have in Christ Jesus. And then verse 31 talks about us being holy. Because when it's talking about meat, you know, torn by beasts and so forth, it's talking about that was in, in, in disagreement or that was in disobedience to the law. And obviously, we're no longer under the law, but under grace, Scripture tells us. So we're under a new covenant with Jesus Christ. But what's being referred to here is that there was a law given for a reason. And so we have a responsibility in keeping the law. And this is why it tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 24, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me... Jesus is talking to the church, to believers, to you and I. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him by the Holy Spirit. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Well, how do we know if we love God? We desire to keep his word. Now, the thing we have to realize, because I don't want anyone to be discouraged... None of us are able to keep his word perfectly. There's only one who is able to do that, and his name was Jesus Christ. We can't keep his word perfectly, but we strive after it. We strive after it. You know my silly analogy that you've heard me use maybe 10, maybe 300 times. I don't know. But um, about the baseball, teaching a child or a baseball player. If you have a baseball player, if you like baseball, I mean, when I was a kid, everybody watched baseball. I mean, the World Series was on. But anyway, if, if you like baseball, if someone was batting 350 to 400, 
man, that guy was a good hitter. But if someone was batting 350, it meant 35% of the time they got on base. They got on base. So 65% of the time, they didn't. But why were they considered? Because they kept swinging. They kept, tr- you know, kept trying. And they were batting 350. Well, hopefully we'll bet, you know, we'll bat better than 350. But when we fall, you get back up and you follow the Lord. You get back up and you follow the Lord. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked fall by calamity, tells us in Proverbs. So we have to understand, we have a responsibility. Get back up and follow Jesus. You might be sitting here thinking, man, I messed up so bad this week. I don't know how God can love me. Well, he already does love you. He takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he takes our sin from us. What God wants you to do is get back up. You don't have to go back to the beginning. It's not monopoly. It's not go back to go and start over again. You get back right up where you were and you keep walking with the Lord. And so being a believer, the testimony of being a believer, you get back up. You don't just say, oh, poor me, I'm just such a sinner. I don't deserve anything. You never did deserve anything. You still don't deserve anything. And even just before you're taken to heaven, you don't deserve what you're getting. It's all a gift. It's all a gift of God because of his love. But we strive after him. We have our focus on him. Jesus is my goal. When we see him, we shall be like him. Do you understand that this physical body, we all know this, is material. And who we are is immaterial. The brain, as an anatomical, physiological structure, is not capable of original thought. You know, you have the medulla oblongata, the, you know, for natural, is that how you pronounce it? General reflexes and heartbeat and stuff like that, involuntary responses. But as far as your brain is concerned, you know, we can invent things. We can figure out mathematical problems. I mean, God has given us this, this brain, but where does that thought come from? From who you are, your soul and spirit, which is immaterial. When you die, the body remains until the rapture, but you go to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body, the apostle Paul told us, is to be present for the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. One day we're going to be with Jesus, either in the rapture or death. And guess what? I can't wait. I can't wait. When I die, don't cry for me. You know that song we sing? It doesn't matter where they bury me because I'll be home and I'll be free. Hallelujah. That's the promise of God. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given us all these promises and these commands in your word. And I pray that you would use the portion that we have studied this morning to encourage us and help us walk more closely with you. Because we love you so much because you loved us. We're only able to love you because you first loved us. And so now come by your Holy Spirit, Father, and minister your truth to our heart and souls and help us to be your witnesses in this world, this world that has such a need for light. Help us, Lord, to shine everywhere we go and to not hold back our faith and to not make excuses for depravity. And I give you thanks, Lord, for your word and for the the way your spirit has moved this morning in speaking to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we're sharing communion this morning. Our darling children are coming in. And we like to have our children come in because, as the verse I shared, for as such is the kingdom of God. Right? 
You know, the two sacraments the Lord has given us, which is baptism and the Lord's table or communion, are very, they're very telling and wonderful of God's love. What is baptism? The old man, when you go underwater, Romans chapter 6, when you go underwater, the old man's dead, the new man's come up. Isn't that awesome? You're a new creation. You might not be perfect. You might not even be near perfect. But you're a new creation. You belong to Jesus. And then he's given us the Lord's table. And what's that all about? It's a reminder. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Jesus Christ paid the price, the full price for the redemption of our souls. And Jesus Christ has given us a promise. He's coming back. And he told his disciples that I won't share this table with you again until I share it with you in the kingdom of heaven. And one day, you and I are going to be raptured, taken up to meet the Lord in the air, and there's going to be a communion service, and you're not going to have your old wrinkly pastor up here sharing the communion service. You're going to have Jesus Christ officiating the communion service. And it's going to be so awesome. Because we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be made whole. We're going to be made whole whole. How awesome is that? Father, we thank you for the Lord's table and for what it means to us, and I pray that you would use this sacrament to minister to our hearts and souls this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize it's not our worthiness that allows us to participate in this table, but it's your worthiness. The heart of man is exceedingly wicked beyond understanding, but you, Lord, have redeemed the heart of man back to yourself by the sacrifice of your blood on the cross. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, as we participate in this sacrament, it would encourage us and help us to realize the love that has been so freely poured out on us. And I pray this in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen. It tells us in Scripture that on the night the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the unleavened bread, it was the feast of unleavened bread before the Passover, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do you understand Jesus Christ came to earth for one reason, out of love, for you, for me. And his body was broken. He was crucified. He bled and died and then rose again out of love for you and I. And so therefore, when we participate in this sacrament, understand there's not a sin that you have committed, not one sin you've committed, that the blood of Jesus Christ isn't able to wash clean. And then he gives us a new chance, a new beginning. You don't have to go back and try to redo anything. You start right over again from where you are. That's the love of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, take and eat and drink and be so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament. May it be blessed to our soul in spirit's nourishment. And I pray that you'd bless each one who's here. I ask, Father, you'd give them traveling mercies home and that you would encourage them in all your ways and that we would truly be a light in this world. We no longer would try to put a bushel basket over our testimony, but let it shine before men. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.